Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Luke chapter 1. That's where we will be camping today. Man, what a morning this has been. Um, I just, I mean, just hearing... Brooke's story and Brandy's story. Thank you guys for sharing how the Lord has worked in your life. And yeah, it's, I was just really overwhelmed just thinking about my own baptism during those times. Um, it's a wonderful morning and after hearing all those testimonies, I just feel redundant right now, just standing here. Um, but, but I do have the mic and I have 40 minutes, so. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's go. Um, well, if you don't know me, my name is John, and uh, I'm a member at ICC. I've been a member for about seven years um, and part of the pastor's training program here at our church. Um, really thankful for the elders and, uh, yeah, just Jordan for the way uh, you guys shepherd me and coach me uh, to preach. This is not easy for me, uh, being a non-native speaker, but thank you for the so many of you guys who have prayed for me, come here and support. Um, Really, really thankful. Last week, uh, we just kicked off this series called Out of Darkness. Out of darkness and into the light. Last week, Jordan taught about the people of Israel were sitting in the darkness of God's silence for about 400 years. This page in the Bible that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament represents 400 years of no voice of God, of no movement in redemptive history. And he showed us how the people were sitting in the darkness hoping and longing for the arrival of the Messiah and that in the first pages of scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, we see the promise. We see the promise that the virgin shall conceive and you shall call him Emmanuel for God with us. And that's what we were last week out of the darkness of silence into the light of his presence. But this week we're gonna be camping out on an incredible story of a wonderful couple named Elizabeth and Zechariah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. We will be reading from verse 5 to verse 25. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. This is the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John." And you will have joy 
and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that they had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me when he has looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, O oh God. Thank you for the word of Christ, which is our firm foundation. God, would you please open our eyes to the wondrous things of your word this morning. We come here with a lot of expectation, with a lot of anticipation. Maybe our hearts are filled with a lot of the buzz of this season. But God, would you help us to prepare him room in our hearts this morning. Give us fresh sight. Give us renewed faith. And would you feed your flock? Hide me and use me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well. The main point uh, from this passage I want to bring to you guys today is this. Jesus brings the light of joy and hope to weak and broken people in midst of despair and disbelief. Jesus brings the light of hope and joy to broken and weak people in the midst of the darkness and disbelief. We're going to look at the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah and see how, during the first Christmas, how do they respond to the Lord, to the promise of his son? So if you see in verse 5, you see what does it say here? In the days of Herod, the king of Judea. I mean, it was, they lived in a time of a lot of trials and a lot of persecution. And you see in verse 5, there was a priest named Zechariah from the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, or Aaron, if you will. <laughs> Just kidding. I shouldn't have said that, but, um, but Aaron. So if you see, so they're both from a priestly lineage, right? They're both belonging to the Lord. They both come from a priestly family. And you see the next verse, what do you see? Verse six, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. 
They were a godly couple. They were righteous. They were following the Lord with all their heart. They worshiped him faithfully. They served him faithfully. They were an exemplary couple. But just, but just look at the next verse. But they, but they, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Regardless of who you are, regardless of how godly you are, there always exists a resounding but I, but we, that shapes the trajectories of our lives. These two verses juxtaposed with each other just destroys the prosperity gospel right on its face. You could be the godliest people ever. You could be the godliest man ever. And you could follow your Lord all your life and end up having the worst life possible. And, and friends, that's the story of the Bible, right? That's the story of the Bible. It's, it's a story full of mess after mess after mess. I mean, I don't know if you've read Genesis. There's just so much dysfunction just in that one book. And God puts that book right in the front of the Bible. That's the story of the Bible, guys. Mess after mess after mess. But the good news is that, is that there's not any mess, but the good news is that, that our God, Emmanuel, is with us in the mess. He's with us in the mess, and that's the gospel, guys. And that's the gospel that we come to trust in Jesus, not for health, wealth, and prosperity, but to treasure him as your greatest treasure of all, and that he will be enough no matter what comes in your life. And that's the gospel. The gospel does not insulate us from suffering and pain but promises his presence in it. And that's where we start this story. And, and as we look at the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah, this becomes evident in their responses. And, and let's maybe first look at just Elizabeth individually and how her response was and what was God working in her life. You see how the Bible describes her in verse 7. She was, she was barren, and she was advanced in years. And in verse 25, we see she was, she was bearing the reproach among people. She was barren, she was old, and she bore the disgrace of barrenness. Man, I mean, for a first century Jewish woman, this is, this was life altering. You know, in a culture, especially back in those days when, when, when motherhood was idolized as favor from God, barrenness was thought to be a curse from God. I mean, this would have shaped her whole worldview, friends. This would have just wrapped her whole identity up in this fact that she was somehow broken, that something was unfixable in her, that she was rather empty, that she was unworthy, even just questioning her own womanhood, wrought with guilt. And, and not only that, that she was broken, but also despair. She was advanced in years, year after year after year of prayers not being answered. Year after year after year of unfulfilled hopes and longings. I mean, we just studied the book of Lamentations, right? Five chapters of this man who's lamenting 
But there's not even a single verse where God speaks. There's not even a single verse where there is the voice of the Lord in the book of Lamentations. Year after year of unfulfilled longings and hopes that just creates this disappointment that, that just eats away your faith and brings into despair and disbelief. And not only that, she bore the reproach among people. She was unwelcomed. She was ostracized. She, she carried this public shame of being less than everybody else. The shadows of disgrace and dishonor just, just followed her wherever she went. I mean, there's so many implications of that for our current age of cancel culture and social media shaming, but I just don't have time to go there. Maybe, maybe you find yourself similar, in a similar place to her. Maybe you find yourself going through an experience of barrenness, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, or maybe even financially. Maybe there's this deep sense of emptiness and guilt and this overwhelming sense of grief in your heart. Maybe you're feeling there's something broken in you and you just feel unfixable. Maybe feeling ashamed, isolated, and despairing. Ashley and I, we've been walking through a lot of, a lot of barrenness ourselves, physically, emotionally, spiritually. This year particularly has been, has been really hard. It's been really, really difficult. Sometimes you feel just like hopelessness and, and fear just constrict your faith, like a python just constricting its prey. We've, we've not only felt the loss of a potential future, we've also experienced the heart-wrenching loss of life itself. There's been more days of weeping than rejoicing, honestly. There's been more days of, of tears than happiness. There's been more sense of loss than gain itself. And you just feel like, Lord, why have you abandoned us? You just feel even betrayed by God. And you just feel that the darkness won't lift from your life. When you just, when our prayers have honestly just been oscillating between how long, O oh Lord, to what now, Lord? What now? What do you do? What do you do when, when the lights in your life go out? Like, what do you do? Where do you turn to? Where do you turn to? When we look at the Bible, we see a God. And this God is the God who invaded the barrenness of Abraham and Sarah. This is the God who broke through the emptiness of Isaac and Rebekah. This is the God who removed the reproach of Rachel, and this is the God who heard and answered the desperations of Hannah. 
This is the God who worked wonders in the lives of Manoah and his wife in the birth of Samson. And this is the God who brought life into the deadness of Elizabeth's womb. This is the same God, ICC, that can bring light and life into the dead and dark spaces of your life. This is the God that we serve, and this is the God that we worship. And you even see in this, in this passage, what was the name that God gives to this child? What was the name? They name him John. Actually, they don't name him. God says, you shall name him John. You know what John means? God is gracious. God is gracious. What a fitting name. 400 years of no movement, no voice of God. And here is the Lord sending a message providentially. I am the Lord gracious. Elizabeth, do you hear me? I am the Lord gracious. I have looked into your barrenness. I have seen your approach. I have seen your brokenness. I am the Lord gracious. Not because they were blameless, not because they deserved a child, not because that they were great in parenting, but because I am gracious. He has looked at my reproach. He has looked upon me in the bareness, in the despair, and in the darkness. God sends a message. I am Yahweh, gracious. He has looked upon me. He has removed my despair. He has removed my reproach, O Elizabeth of ICC. He has removed your reproach. Do not despair. God is gracious. Your God is gracious. And he has invaded the barrenness of your hearts and lives. He is gracious. And you even see the response of Elizabeth in verse 41 to 44. You see, when Mary comes and visits Elizabeth, what does she say? What does she say? She's, she's looking past her own blessing and she's looking to Jesus. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? Elizabeth, though begetting a miracle child herself, looks past beyond her own story to look at the unbegotten Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where she finds her joy. And that's where she invites Jesus into her life. Joy, her joy was not in the blessing of a son. Her joy was in the blessed Lord, her Lord Jesus. Jesus brings the light of joy and hope to weak and broken people in the midst of despair and disbelief. Now that we have looked at Elizabeth's life, let's look at Zechariah's life. Let's see how God was working in his, in his life. You know, you see, especially in the first beginning parts of where we read, Zechariah is serving as a priest. And this was, guys, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity was a, for a priest to go into the temple and offer an incense. There were 18,000 to 20,000 priests at that time in Israel. And they, they did this whole casting of lots and they selected Zechariah. Providentially, God selected Zechariah. And, and this opportunity, after this opportunity, Zechariah goes in to the temple to offer this incense. And we see there are people praying outside and, and Zechariah has the shock of his life. 
he's petrified at this vision, at this angelic visitation. And we see in verse 13, the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. For you will bear a son, and you shall name him John. And, and the angel gives the purpose and the vision statement and the mission statement for John the Baptist. And you know how Zechariah responded? Turn with me to verse 18 in chapter one. Verse 18, let's look at Zechariah's response. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I'm an old man. Angel, my wife is pretty old too. I mean, even in the same chapter, you see, you see the same angel going to Mary and proclaiming that Mary will bear a son. And what was Mary's response in verse 34? Let's see, what was Mary's response? And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Similar, right? But... But Mary, in the end, gets praised to be the blessed mother of the Lord, but Zachariah gets judged and is mute. On the surface, it does look like pretty similar responses, but, but when you truly look at those expressions, and responses, you see, for Mary, it was at the core of her heart, it was, it was faith-seeking understanding. How shall this be? But for Zachariah, on the other hand, it was disbelief seeking proof. How shall I know this? I'm too old. For Mary, it was faith that was seeking understanding. And Zechariah, it was disbelief seeking proof. And even in verse 13, what does it say here? Do not be afraid. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. For your prayer has been heard. Gosh, Zechariah prayed, but yet, truly did not believe that the Lord could actually answer his prayers. His, his lips uttered prayers, but his heart harbored unbelief. I mean, isn't that so many of us today? We all pray, but do we really believe that God can answer our prayers. Like deep down, honestly, ask yourself this question. Do you really believe that God could answer your prayers? We sometimes just pray and just go on with our lives as if we're practically atheists, that God doesn't exist, or maybe even functionally deists, that there might be a God, but he's not a personal God that he's not involved in my life. What are the prayers in your life that you have stopped praying? What are the prayers in your life that you've stopped believing that God could answer? Is faith truly fueling your prayers or is disbelief dampening them? We see in verse 19 and 20, we see in verse 19, it's the response of the angel. We see, and the angels answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And you see Zechariah's response, angel, I'm, I'm just too old. I'm just, this is too late. 
And look at the response of the angel. The angel says, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? I'm not just any run-of-the-mill angel. I am Gabriel. I am an archangel. And I stand in the very holy, consuming presence of God. And I was sent, commissioned by God of the universe himself to give you these good news. And you tell me you're too old, Zechariah? And you tell me that it's too late? Sometimes I wonder, I mean, Zechariah was a priest, right? He was, he was a pretty big deal. He had the blue checkers, you know, if he had an Instagram account. <laughs> he, he probably would have known pretty much all of the Torah, at least Leviticus. That's where I stop my yearly Bible reading, by the way. Every year, <laughs> Levitic, Leviticus just gets me. Um, but he probably would have memorized the whole of that. He prayed and he sought the Lord. But he would have known so much about God. But he did not believe God's word. And I, and I wonder sometimes, guys, that especially to ministry leaders, Sometimes maybe the closer you are to the things of God makes it harder to believe in the power of God. And I was, I was in Walgreens a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had to get a couple of vaccines for my visa process and, uh, and I was just sitting there and I was thinking, God, man, I'm here to get a vaccine and I don't know how vaccines work. Um, and I'm a grown man, I should probably know this. And I opened my phone and I Googled, how does vaccines work? And I found out, fascinating guys, um, that they actually give you the virus um, to help build immunity to keep you from the real disease. And I was like, gosh, I'm gonna get the virus right now and that explains why I've fallen sick every single time after the flu shot. <laughs> and it was just a moment, guys. We all have moments. For me, it was in Walgreens. And, and as I got this vaccine, and I, and I was just thinking, isn't that so true of our spiritual walk? You know, just enough of Jesus, just enough of church to keep you from a real relationship with Jesus, just enough of activities to keep you from fully surrendering to Jesus. You know, just enough of facts and knowledge, and we just heard the testimonies, just enough of knowledge of God to keep you truly from faith in God. Isn't that so true? And that's my biggest concern to the Bible Belt South. Maybe for us, familiarity has truly bred unbelief. And I want you to search your own hearts and see. Man, unbelief is a grievous sin in the sight of the Lord. Too old, <laughs> Zechariah, too late. Zechariah was consumed with his own weakness. He was, he was just consumed with his own weakness rather than the power of God. He was just absorbed by his own impotence rather than God's omnipotence. I mean, it was not a facts problem, right? He was a priest. He knew everything. It was not an intellectual problem, but it was a faith problem. He knew so much, but yet he disbelieved in God. I mean, we all, do you, you guys remember Abraham and Sarah? They were also barren. And look at Abraham's response and how the Bible actually describes Abraham's response in Romans 4. 
that says he did not grow weak when he considered his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb, but grew stronger in faith as he gave God the glory that God was able to do what he has promised. That God was able to do that he, what he has promised. That he was fully convinced, he was fully convinced that God was able to keep his promises. True faith, guys, it's not grounded in your worthiness. True faith is grounded in God's trustworthiness. Genuine faith is not grounded in your abilities or potency. It's grounded in God's omnipotence. True faith looks to God and not to self. True faith looks to his faithfulness. True faith looks to his power, to his ability, his faithfulness, and not to our own faithlessness. Where is your gaze this Christmas? What's, what's actually consuming your thoughts? What's capturing your awe this Christmas? Is it your own weakness and failures? Or is it the magnificence of God himself? See, Zechariah disbelieved, but he still received the blessing of God. In the end, guys, it's not about the size of your faith, but it's about the strength of your Savior. It's not about your abilities, but it's about God's ability. But you're like, John, you, you don't really know my story. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how jacked up my life has been in the past. Respectfully, guys, I just want to say, Get over yourself. Look to God. Stop looking at your own self. No, no, no. That's, what, that's exactly what Zechariah did. I'm just too old. Zechariah, look to God. Stop navel gazing at your own failures and weaknesses and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's faith, my friends. And that's faith. Ashley and I, we, we typically sing this song, and it's not even my notes, but I just want to sing with you guys. How about that? Let's bring some Christmas cheer. Um, this song, uh, this children's song, I think there's so much theology in the children's song that I just love it. Have you, do you guys know this song? Um, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Let's sing that, actually. Can we? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Again, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the valleys are His, and stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's your God. That's your God that you sang about. He is so big. He is so mighty. The mountains are His. 
The valleys are his too, friends. Look at the stars that are his handiwork too. He's so big. There's nothing my God cannot do. And there's nothing that your God, O Zechariah, cannot do. And we see that the beauty of the first Christmas that Zechariah moved from a place of disbelief to hope. After John was born, Zechariah truly responds in hope in this great song. If you turn with me to verse 67, you see this beautiful song that Zechariah sings after his mouth has been opened. In this song, we see his hope is not in his son, John, but the son of God, Jesus himself. Look at, look at the song. Look at how Zechariah is totally focused on Jesus and not on his blessing. In, in verse 68, you just see the names of Jesus he writes this song about. In verse 68, he says, the Lord God of Israel, the Lord who has visited, the Lord redeemer of his people, 69, the horn of salvation, the root of David, 70, the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of all prophecy, 71, the savior, 72, the mercy giver, the promise keeper, the Lord who remembers his people, 73, the covenant keeping God, the deliverer from our enemies, 74 and 75, the one who is worthy of worship, 76, the most high God, 77, the Lord of salvation, the forgiver of all sins, 78, the merciful high priest, 79, the light of the world for all those who sit in darkness. The light of the world for all who sit in darkness. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And you see how Zachariah's faith was moved from his own navel-gazing to God-gazing, to the hope that he found not in his blessing but in Jesus himself. God brings the light of hope and joy to broken and weak people like you and me to bring us from despair and disbelief. And I conclude, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was hung on the cross, there was cosmic darkness that filled, the, that enveloped the earth. And at the cross, Jesus sat in the darkness, in the shadows of death, bearing your reproach bearing your unbelief, bearing your sin. Jesus bore the divine wrath of God so that you and I might be free from our sins and unbelief. So that you and I no longer have to carry your reproach. So that you and I no longer have to bear the brokenness of our sins. Jesus hung on the cross in the darkness so that you and I may no longer have to sit in the darkness of pain and unbelief. He, I love this verse, he, in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us freely, how will he not? How will he not, OICC, how will he not? Give us all thanks graciously with him. You know, there's, there's this coat. Of course, the sermon is not complete if there's not a Tim Keller coat, so I put a Tim Keller coat in it. Um, if Jesus did not abandon you in his darkness, in his ultimate darkness, 
why would he abandon you now in yours? When Jesus was abandoned by God himself, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, why God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he did not abandon you in his darkness and ultimate forsakenness, why do you think that he would abandon you and yours? Because there is a cradle, you can be sure that God is committed for your good. No matter where you are in life today, because there is a cross, you can be sure that suffering and pain will always lead to triumph. Because there is an empty tomb, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and ask the band and the prayer counselors come up front. I'm just gonna ask you a few questions to respond. I don't know if you're struggling this morning with, with doubt, maybe with some shame, maybe carrying the burden that you really can't share with anybody. Maybe you're just struggling with doubt this morning. And I want to encourage you. The Lord welcomes doubt. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but you've never really surrendered your life to Christ. You know all things about Jesus. Maybe you've never truly given yourself to him and trusted him as your savior. Maybe you're like the elder brother who was in the house of the father but ultimately rejected him. Do you know him? Not just about him, do you know him? And maybe you're here thinking, man, all this faith stuff is, it's just credulity. It's just naive. I want to ask you, what, what is the object of your faith? Faith is not just the absence of reason, friends. Faith goes beyond reason to full reliance and trust upon Jesus himself. What is the object of your faith? And I don't know if this is your first time or your millionth time being at church. But if you've never believed in Jesus, but if you've never truly surrendered your heart to him, I want to invite you to turn away from looking at yourself. You don't have to fix yourself before to come to the Lord. That's why we have the cross for I want to invite you to turn away from yourself, to turn to the cross, turn to your Savior, turn to Jesus who welcomes you into his presence where there is mercy and pardon for all of your sins, for all of your shame, for all of your reproach. There's mercy and pardon. This could be, this very well could be the day of your salvation. This very well could be the day that you come home to Christ. Run to Christ. Run to your Father who's waiting and watching for you. If you've never believed Him for the first time, 
here we are, there's men and women here up in front. We would love for you to come forward. And if you're saying yes to the Lord, what a celebration that would be. We even have a baptismal here. We might get you baptized. What a day of celebration would that be if you say yes to the Lord. Or if you're just struggling in your faith, just come to one of us up front. And we would love to pray for you and walk with you no matter where you are in your despair or unbelief. Because in his presence, no darkness can live. Let's pray. Lord, come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit. Rule in all our hearts alone by thine all-sufficient merit. Raise us to your glorious, glorious throne. Do it, Lord. Do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Merry Christmas. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.